Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're a podcast that's uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history dating back from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply prost to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin. And I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey. And today we are going to be talking with Mad Tree Brewing, specifically with Brady Duncan, one of the co-founders of Mad Tree Brewing, and Rhiannon Howler. She is the Director of Strategic Impact for Mad Tree. So cheers to that. That is a genuine prost for this episode. And yes, we could be uncovering what it takes to operate a brewery, but we are specifically wanting to talk to Madri about their mission forward approach with their business and how they're not only creating a positive impact within their community itself, but also the environment. And I think it's important to have conversations like these because employees in general are looking for more than just a hefty paycheck these days. They want to know that they're making a difference beyond just clocking in from nine to five, and it's putting more of a demand on companies, rightfully so. And to hopefully conversations like this gets the wheels turning for entrepreneurs and companies to reevaluate their mission and vision statements to hopefully make a greater and positive impact outside of their business. Well, especially on the impact side, right? Uh, Madtree actually posts a social impact report to their website that you can go access right now. We'll probably put it in the show notes as well. Um, but just some interesting t- statistics, Ali, that I was looking at. 2,193 trees planted in 2020 alone, 626 hours of volunteer time in 2020 alone, 100% of the spent grain sent, you know, you know, the grain that they use in order to make the beer. So the leftover stuff, they send it to local cows here in the tri-state area. Repurpose. (laughs) Yes. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. it. Recycle that. And then 236,400 plastic handles recycled in 2020. And and when we say handles, the little caps. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. But that goes a long way, right? mm -hmm. And And setting an example. It's setting an example for, I think, any startup and even corporations Mm -hmm. that you can do business and have an impact at the same time. And they, and Matry seems to be a great leader in this, and that's why we're bringing them on board. In addition to that, we will also, because we like to bring a historical element into this podcast as much as we can, Matry is opening up a new space called the Alcove in Over the Rhine downtown, and it used to be the old Wielert's Garden, an old German beer garden. And there's a lot of history behind that space, which we will also talk about in this podcast as well. So let's talk impact. Let's talk uh, leadership. Let's talk, you know, making our community better and let's bring him in okay brady and rihanna thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today as we had mentioned prior we could take this conversation in so many different directions but as representatives of mad tree i think we need to backtrack a little bit and brady can you kind of give us a lowdown as to the start of mad tree and how it all began yeah, so um, 2010, uh, I met my two partners, Kenny and Jeff. Um, they were doing kind of a, a beer of the week club. So a bunch of people would get together every Wednesday. We'd all kind of bring just like different six packs of beer and just kind of nerd out and talk about beer. So I was working at Procter & Gamble. They were doing uh, defense contracting, engineering work. Um, and we, we only knew each other for probably four or five months 
before we started basically homebrewing together and we kind of said let's uh let's try to like make a thing out of this cincinnati at the yeah. time there was five or six craft breweries so yeah. beer was really kind of exploding in places like michigan portland san diego you know we were going around and seeing a lot of the cool beer scene that was happening in those towns and we pretty much wanted to bring that to cincinnati um cincinnati obviously as you guys know has a strong kind of german beer heritage um mm -hmm. And no disrespect to that, I think that's really cool and we love that, but we also were kind of seeing this a little bit more of a bold culture um, kind of coming through and, and, and sweeping across the country. So really our vision was pretty simple. We wanted to bring that to Cincinnati, so. Yeah, kind of elaborate, what does bold culture mean to Madtree and how does that correlate with you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think like, it, honestly, I would say bold culture probably starts with the beers. Um, yeah. When we launched, right, the five beers we launched with, it's kind of funny to think back now, was Happy Amber, which is an amber that's hopped up, Psychopathy, which is a very, at least at the time, a very bitter West Coast IPA. We had Identity Crisis, which was a porter that was hopped up, <laughs> Axis Monday, which is a 10% Russian Imperial Stout, and then Gnarly Brown, which is a brown that's hopped up. So, I mean, we were just kind of launching these kind of bold beers, um, and I think also just a grittier kind of culture, right, like starting in... I mean, our, our, what we refer to as 1.0, our old location is a pretty gritty location. It was kind of just like a bar in a warehouse. So yeah. um, I think just kind of seeing how that was happening in some of these other um, cool markets and how the, the community was embracing um, those brands, that was really inspiring to us. When you decided to launch, because you had, like, as you mentioned, you had two full-time jobs and you saw that there was a need in this market and you wanted to bring this here. What did that look like? Because was this just a hard shift or was this, hey, we started brewing beers in our basement and we have something here? Yeah, I mean, it took us, we were in the planning stage for probably three years. Um, so we started, um, and it was hard to get money. I mean, uh, banks yeah. didn't necessarily, they were looking at us saying, great, you guys all have good day jobs, but you know nothing about the beer industry. Um, yep. They didn't understand the collateral value of the tanks, which I think now, like newer breweries that start up, have no issue getting a million plus dollars. We were scrapping for $350,000. So we put a lot of time into the plan. Um, and I think that's that really kind of enabled the three of us to kind of get our vision together about what we wanted this thing to be. Um, but then also enabled us to go out and ask for money because frankly, we, we had our shit together um, with our business plan. So what, you know, was that vision that you guys coalesced behind while you were planning out uh, this new brewery? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of simply it was, it was how do we bring this, this, this craft beer culture to Cincinnati. And I know that was obviously bigger than us because that wasn't just us, right? There were other breweries like 50 West and Ryan Geist that opened about the same time. Um, but I think, you know, that was that was kind of what we were laser focused on. But then I think this this other side, right, the softer side about how can we build community into what we were doing? Because that's also what we were seeing other great craft breweries do um, is, right, building up and supporting their community. And how do we kind of bring that to life? You know, I know we actually, we did this, um, this campaign to get Facebook, or it was it was around getting Facebook likes, Facebook likes, but we donated two thousand twenty five hundred dollars to Toys for Tots, um, wow. literally like two or three months before we launched. Um, oh. And frankly, early in our in our life, we were kind of scattershot with what community support meant. Um, we're a lot more kind of laser focused on that now, um, and that's really what what Rhiannon's, uh here for. But. Um, uh, yeah, so it, it, that was kind of just built into, I guess, our DNA. 
You, you bring up, this is a great transition because a main focus as to why we wanted to have you guys on is to talk about the impact that a business and a company can have within a community, whatever that mission might be. And you hear and you see rooted in purpose, right, a lot for Mad Tree. And I want to backtrack because you just made that comment of you were you had your training wheels on, right? What does it mean to be invested in the community? So let's backtrack and let's talk about where kind of maybe the struggles were as you were trying to get that foundation and what you were learning in the beginning to where you are today. I know that's kind of a loaded question, um, but you you had to find your foundation somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's funny as we were in kind of 2017, 18, and then I'll back up, I'll say, 2017, yeah. 18 was kind of a very a period of introspection for us, right? If, if you kind of think mm. we started with this vision of support our communities and bring this cool craft beer culture to Cincinnati, there were 2,000 craft breweries when we started. Then we were looking eight, 9,000 craft breweries. So we kind of had to take a step back and say, like, why do we exist? What are we doing? What is, what is, why does this business need to exist? What, what part does it play? in people's lives and as we went back and kind of looked back I remember going back to like our original business plan and there was a lot of stuff kind of woven in there I mean even the name Mad Tree right about mm-hmm. appreciation of love for the outdoors for nature for sustainability and some of those things I think frankly kind of were getting lost in our brand as we first launched we almost took this it, it was a mistake we almost took this like portfolio approach to community it was like how do we make sure that everyone that we kind of spread the love whether it was you know, we do this toss the buck for charity. So that sits above our bar. People throw dollars up there. We wanted to make sure we, we were representing dogs and special needs and outdoor. And it was like we were just making small little drops kind of everywhere um, and not really having the kind of um, uh, strong impact that we that we wanted. So in 2017, 18, when we kind of took, took a step back um, and started getting really intentional and thoughtful about what we were doing, that's where we really started kind of crystallizing our mission, our vision, our purpose, and out of that came, um, you know, 1% for the planet and all the things that we kind of support now. Do you think you would have been able to have that pinpoint focus at the very beginning, though? Or were you? do you feel like you were still in those launching phases and that you needed to establish what Mad Tree, the brand as a brewery, is and, you know, was at the time? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I don't know that I have a strong opinion on that. I do... I think that yeah. I'll say this. I think the time to really get clear on who you are and what you're about is when you're in that growth phase, which is really, really hard mm. for businesses. Mm. Well, I look back to kind of 16, 15, 16, and 17. That really probably would have been the right time for us to really take a step back and say, hey, things are going really well. Like, where's this thing going? You know, and frankly, we were just a little behind the eight ball on, I think, that that piece of the work for Madtree. Um mm. But, you know, still that being said, to really kind of kick off what I would call the new vision or the, it's not necessarily even a new vision, um, more of a focused vision around 17, 18 was still, still a very positive move for the company. Yeah. So how does one, I guess, realign their company's vision uh, and make sure, you know, the rest of the business is following along and, and behind I've... and on board? And I'd love to get Rihanna, you in on, on that question as well. Yeah, you want to start? Um, well, I think some of it is, um, you know, some of this work happened before I came around. So uh, Purpose yeah. was established before I was here. Um, sort of the idea even around a body managing this and running it and leading it um, was put forth before I was here. So 
um, a lot of that Brady can speak to. I think for us, some of the more tangible things um, is in strategy, you have to talk about it as a leadership team until you're blue in the face and constantly are reinforcing, reinforcing, reinforcing. But um, so we're doing that continually, right? So there's constant communication out to our staff around mm-hmm. um, the what, the why, the how. And then on a really much more tangible side of the equation, we get our team out and we volunteer. Um, so tomorrow is our first volunteer event of 2022. So they get to go see the work in the community. They get their hands dirty, their sweat equity, um, and they get to be with our nonprofit partners. And then they also get to live our behaviors, right, of connecting and growing and giving a fuck. So um, there's opportunity for them to be in partnership with each other, be in partnership with our community, um, and watch those relationships grow over time. I think that's what I'm most excited about. Um, but we, we pay our staff to go out and volunteer, and I think that's one really beautiful, clean touch point that every single person in the um, business rallies around and, and does. Um, so I think it's A, living it, right? So getting out and volunteering, and B, just continuing to drive home that messaging through our weekly emails, through our staff meetings, through every kind of bit of communication we can. We always touch on it, and leading with impact and consumer experience is our number one strategy for the entire company. Yeah, and I, I think we're kind of loosely dancing around, right, the impact that you have, and we haven't really clarified what that is. So can you kind of briefly explain specifically, w- along with the fact that, you know, you're, you're partnering with the 1% for the planet, et cetera, et cetera, to paint a picture for our listeners? Yeah, so um, I think, you know, our big hairy goal is to um, grow this company by 3x over the next decade and have $5 million of impact along the way. Um, So that's an exciting big number that we can reach. Um, We get that through 1% for the planet. So half of that is about um, that commitment to 1% of the planet. So that's for everybody out there who doesn't know what that is. Um, We are committing 1% of our sales to nonprofits in the community focused around environmental sustainability. Um, Some of that's through just straight dollars and some of that's through sweat equity. Um, The other component of that is we're doing it through carbon offsets. Um, So every private event that we do here in the tap room and then also in our new location at Alcove, um, we add a carbon offset um, piece into the invoice and they have to opt out. But that will go back to, again, working with Cincinnati Parks Foundation, which is one of our nonprofits and planting trees in our community. Um, In the uh, areas of Cincinnati where there's less than 40% tree canopy. Um, we do that through our sustainability work within Mad Tree, right? So bringing in sustain- sustainability into each and every person's workspace. Um, how are we getting better at composting? How are we, uh, like, as we move into um, Alcove, we're shooting for LEED certification, right? So how are we continuing to walk the walk as well? Hmm. Um, those are some big ways. Yeah. How are you tracking, I guess, this impact, right? I think uh, having worked with a few social impact startups, one of the toughest things that uh, people find are tracking the metrics and are you actually making an impact? So how are you guys planning on, I guess, tracking all this? Yeah, so um, Brady, you can probably speak a little bit to this, but we, um, each and every month, we as a director team have to get together and report out 
Um, so we are reporting out to each other and, and those are metrics that we have, right? We have a goal of 5,000 trees in the ground um, in 2022. Um, we have a goal of $25,000 in carbon offsets coming through our door um, in 2022. We have a goal of providing $170,000 um, of support back into our community through sweat equity and through sponsorship dollars to those nonprofits. Um, so it's it's the tree value, right? So it's all of those things combined. There are definitely distinct metrics that we're looking at monthly and then quarterly and then yearly um, that I'm held accountable to and that company is held accountable to. So we track those through um, each of those meetings and we report out. It's just the same way we're doing with strategy. We report out to the company yeah. what we're doing as well. And we celebrate our wins and we're going to do a better job of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> within within your employees, that's important, which we'll, we'll get to as well. And, and when you were deciding around that 2017, 2018 time, when you were starting to funnel the focus, how did you know that that's what you wanted to pinpoint on because the 1% for the planet now, correct me if I'm wrong, that you collab, you collaborate with them and you're a member with them, correct? So, and explain what, what that is for maybe even a business who may want to also get involved with them as well. Okay. Um, yeah, so the 1%, Brady can probably talk a little bit more about the why around that because that was decided upon before yeah. we arrived. But basically, um, as a for-profit party, um, we have a membership fee annually, and then they also track our spending. So when we say that we're 1%, they also track exactly the dollars that are going out the door so that it's sort of that third-party confirmation that we are saying what mm. we said we were going to do. Um, and essentially, um, it was founded by the founder of um, Patagonia, along with another gentleman. And the the hope is, right, that we collectively have more impact than if we just individually do it um, one company at a time. So if we're all in this together, both the nonprofit community and the for-profit community, our impact will be exponentially greater than if we walk this journey alone. So just like climate change is never going to be solved by one entity, um, this is sort of that for for-profit and not not-for-profit. So not-for-profits don't get charged for it, um, but they become part of it through um, 1% sort of making sure that they're living up to their side of the equation as well. I guess this might be a little bit uh, a digression, but I wanted to get both your perspectives. Companies make promises a lot about impacts in the community. Uh, we saw it, you know, recently post George Floyd um, with trying to help out the black community. How do we hold companies accountable and you know, why are companies just now starting to, I guess, care about having this social impact focus? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Um, I think I'll say one of the biggest ways that I think we hold ourselves accountable is frankly through our impact report every year. And it's just being super transparent about what we're doing. You know, I think for, if I kind of go back, it was just a little bit of the question around kind of 2017, 18, kind of what sparked that and a lot of the change management around it. I think as, as you take a step back and you get kind of introspective about it, um, you know, it, it's, as a beer company, we have a, um, a, a purpose statement of connecting people to nature and each other, which is a really strange purpose statement for a beer company to not have beer in our purpose statement. But that, I think that really harkens back to a lot of 
when I kind of said that we went back and looked at our original original business plan, and frankly, what we're passionate about. Um, you know, Rihanna mentioned uh, Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia. That's always been a mentor brand that we look at, and we respect the hell out of how they conduct business and 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 how they or what they do. I think for us too, it was you know we, we have a we have a vision statement that is to build a pur- a purpose driven sustainable company our kids will be proud of. And I think the big thing is how do we internalize that? I think for me, as we started getting introspective about the business, you know I've got three kids. I know the values that we're raising our three kids with. Um, and I picture sitting with my son at the bar 10 years from now and talking to him about Mad Tree. And that's just how I internalize what we're doing, right? And I, and I know the stuff that he's, that he's going to be proud of. Certainly he's going to be proud if we have a big company. But he's going to look around and he's going to see do the employees like working here. Do they take care of people? Um, my son, when we drive by, like, uh, there's funny, they're building this little like bank right down the street from our house. And they had to clear cut all these trees. And it just pissed him off. I mean, he was super, super pissed. Oh. Um, can you guys hear that music? Should I shut that off? We can, yes. <laughs> We're having a rave in the background. It's fine. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Mini break as we rave really quickly. <laughs> Please hold. I love it. I love it. I, I think every company needs a midday rave. <laughs> yeah, so as you were saying, your son was so sad about the trees getting cut. Yeah, so, um, and it, more of that philanthropic approach. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's just kind of like, how do you? That's a lot of what what you know what was hard for our company as we were kind of making this pivot. But I think it's important is how do people internalize and see themselves in this what I would call a more intentional vision of Madry, and that's kind of my example of how I internalize it, right? And you know, I know when I sit with my son, like the things that he would be proud of. That's the kind of company that we need to be building, and we need to take the long view on everything. I think we do a really good job of that. And it's kind of hard in this industry, too. It's hard in any industry just to not chase the quick little gimmicks or the little things that you can do to make a buck here or there, but make sure that we're setting ourselves up kind of for long-term success. Do those goals then help, you know, the the, the number goals, the, the that make it a little bit more tangible? Because I think of, you know, when you hire on employees, you, Rhiannon, you kept talking about earlier that, okay, you have to continue to preach that message how do you get employees to buy into what you're doing i think one of the things that i really really love about this company is um the fact that when we sit in a room as directors whatever the message is inside that room is the message that we carry out to staff so that's really important as a director sitting within this company i never have to walk out of this board room and feel uncomfortable about what i'm saying right Whatever we talk yeah. about in there is what I'm talking about with staff outside of um, outside of that room. And it, it also feels really good because the two men who um, co-founded this space really walk the walk every single day. We don't always get it right. Sometimes we fumble and that's part of growth and part of a business growing. Um, but at the end of the day, I know that the core is in the right spot. Um, it's the place where I can go back as an employee and remember why we do this every single day, even if I'm having a rough day. Um, but I'll give you a really good example. So the um, volunteer hours that we do, if you're a full-time employee, you are uh, mandated 16 hours of volunteer work for the year. Um, we set those up, we make it as easy as possible, but we also hold each other accountable. It's in your job description when you're onboarded. It's in your orientation when you join our company, it is 
sent to your manager or director monthly so they can follow up with you in their one-on-one. -on -one. Um, it is something that we hold directors and managers accountable for their team, that they get those hours. So we literally go through every single step. It's a, you know, we always want to have carrots and we don't want to have sticks. But at the end of the day, if an employee doesn't meet the hours, like there's consequences for that, right? So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's like continuing to drive home those behaviors that we want to see um, over and over and over and over again. So um, like we're going to, we're talking through Alcove and the training that will go into all of those employees and starting that culture off really right. And a lot of what we're talking about is the impact work, right? And making sure that you can see it through and through and through. So the SOPs um, have impact work in there. The way that we kick off literally the first day of training is history of matry, impact, and brand, right? Um, so we're trying to touch on it all the time. Culture, right? Huge for Madtree. What aspects of Madtree's culture benefited from I guess, mandating, you know, volunteer hours and having this social impact focus? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you probably the most tangible example I can think of right now. So Rhiannon's mentioned Alcove, which is the new um, bar restaurant that we're opening down and over the Rhine. It's going to be a beautiful space. We have 90 people hired right now for that space. Um, and we're still three weeks out from even soft openings. Um, that's incredible. Like, and... One example, we had we had a, a candidate who literally started crying when she found out that we that we that we basically pay for volunteer hours. She was like, "That's so cool! I've never worked for a company who does something like this." So, you know, I think it's you know people, and this is maybe I'm projecting a bit, but I think this is pretty true, right? People want to know that there's something bigger of why they're going to work and what they're doing every day, right? I mean. Don't get me wrong, we're passionate as shit about making beer, but at the end yeah. of the day, it's just like, let's just make the best beer we can. Um, th that's not going to fill my bucket. I mean, just to be frank, mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that we're having a bigger impact. And we, sh and, and honestly, we have a responsibility. I mean, our strength is our brand equity, you know, and a lot of like this, this $5 million goal, sorry, I'm going on a tangent here, but a lot of that is around like, how do we, we call it like impact amplification. So how do we bring other partners in? So right, so we have this Ascending Women series and we've got a sponsor from a local company, a men consulting, who's sponsoring that. So that is helping us amplify our impact. Um, we work with um, Paycor and the zoo on a farm to table dinner where we can make donations um, to, to an organization called Groundwork um, ORV. So all that stuff is how do, we, how do we take a strong brand equity and use that to make our community better, so. And it's taken, as you said, almost 10 years now to, to build this brand equity, a lot of sweat equity, yep. you know, and it's not always sunshine and rainbows. So what would you say are some of those biggest obstacles that you hit along the way, especially when it came to building this brand equity? Oh, man, there's been a ton. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be frank. Our culture is not um, – I love our culture. It's getting stronger every day. There's been some hiccups with it. I mean, if you think about – yeah. Right. From a company where we came from just beer, 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 we're blowing up, we're supporting dog charities, we're supporting all kinds of stuff. And then all of a sudden we say, right, we come out with a purpose that is connecting people to nature and each other. And our employees are like, we could see the looks on their faces of like, I don't really get this. Like, why are we mm -hmm. doing this? 
we are about making great beer. And I'm like, well, so what? So are 9,000 other craft breweries. So, and kind of back to my point, that's not the stuff that necessarily like feeds your soul. So it's certainly been tough transitioning. Um, we've had a lot of change. I mean, the fact of, you know, you think about that 17, 18, we started kind of what, I, what we call it internally, kind of turning the ship. Then COVID hits, we, move, we were moving to our new space. We're opening a new space. We're doing ready to drink cocktails. Like there's a lot going on in terms of change, yeah. which has been, um, to me, some of the most rewarding stuff we've done, but also the, the, the most challenging is to kind of get right. When you're an existing business and you're trying to kind of turn the ship with everyone on it, that's, that's really the hard work. I use like Alcove as an example. Like we are set up down there and I'm sure a year from now, I'll look back on all the mistakes we made. But we're super clear about who we are and what that what the purpose of that space is. Like that space is going to come to life almost easier than like turning the existing business um, because we have a lot of people who are, obviously most people are resistant to change. That's just kind of a, a fact of it. Mm. So when you're making this change, what were some specifics, specific actions that you took as a leader to, you know, kind of right the ship in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, I think Rihanna touched on a lot of it, right? That reinforcement. We've got three core behaviors. Uh, Rihanna mentioned it, connect, grow and give a fuck. And that's literally Mm -hmm. um, twice a year. We basically recognize one person in each one of those, and we have examples. And there's a nominating committee that's made up of former people who have won the awards. So we ritualize it that way. Um, I'll say when we when we first started kind of talking to the company about where we were, where we're, this kind of in, more intentional vision was, a lot of it was just kind of hearkening back um, to two things. Really, one, it was kind of the original business plan, and then two, um, we we put out a survey to the company, which I utilized a lot which basically just had simple questions of like, what are you most proud of here at Mad Tree? If you had a magic wand, where what, where do you want to see this company in five years? And frankly, all the places we were taking this company, it was being driven out of what the employees were saying they wanted out of this company, right? I mean, you saw environmental sustainability. Um, you saw a lot of, I want to be super proud of this place. I want to, you know, I want to have the, the, the best coworker support network. I mean, a lot of that stuff was literally being brought to life. So as we were kind of launching this new vision for Matru, we were frankly kind of taking what the employees were telling us and just kind of wrapping it in a in a, a nice package. You know, and as you're saying this, I'm thinking about the fact that it makes sense why people will be probably more will buy in to what you're doing also because of the fact that beer is fun right your breweries are fun it's a it's a community staple it's a place to gather and it's typically you're there for a good time do you think that because you're a brewery it lends a hand for what you're doing and the impact and, and to get people to buy in and for companies who might not be as glamorous so to speak maybe it's a manufacturing company what advice could you give them if they're trying to also create an impact in the community that they live in? Go ahead. Um, I make retake all the hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, right, like a lot of what Brady said already is relevant here, right? Everybody wants to, and, and I would say this is happening even more. You can even say that about Alcove and the discussion around having 80 employees um, already hired, right, before we even open our doors in a moment of um, where people are fleeing our 
our particular industry, left, right, and center because of COVID, um, yeah. and the great resignations happening, right? And we have people, we're, we probably have more staff than we actually need right now. <laughs> so the fact that we are able to do that um, speaks volumes, right, to the work that we're doing. And it's that um, one of the things that Brady asked me to do while I was away um, this holiday was to kind of come up with our three-year impact plan. And for me, the most important piece of that work was the why, right? And um, the why bits of why we're doing this are to differentiate our brand, to get us to B Corp, um, to have pride, passion, and a sense of ownership for our company. Um, you know, there there's great pride in what we do. Um, I'll say in our engagement score, one of the numbers that moved pretty significantly is um, people understanding our purpose, right? And engaging with our purpose. Um, that grew significantly over the last year. Um, and that's from that work that we're talking about. That doesn't just, even if you're manufacturing, right? Um, it's sexy to like have a company that has some passion behind it and some pride behind it. It doesn't matter if you're manufacturing, if you're, restaurant bar, if you're a conservation organization, whatever you are, right? You build planes. I don't know, like whatever the thing is. Um, if there's GE, we're coming for right? <laughs> If there's some meaning behind what you're doing, right? That's why you're seeing the Kroger's of the world, zero hit, hunger, zero waste, right? These big giant corporations are also doing this work. Um, you know, and that's what Let's... the next generation also wants. So if we're going to, yeah. if we're going to recruit the best talent, that's another why, right? We need to recruit the best talent. Um, it's getting the right people on the bus. If we're going to do that, we got to build a company that they believe in. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, a company is seeing this this change and knows that they need to make they need to make a change internally themselves, but they really don't quite have a vision on where to begin. Um, what advice? from that standpoint, could you give them at, this would be a good starting point to consider if you want to, to be more involved with your employees in your community, et cetera, et cetera. I think two things, one, write a vision statement. Uh, mm. uh, yeah. I, I think the thing is, is you can't be afraid. It's gotta be in your DNA and you can't, there are times where you can look at people, planet and profit as three competing entities, or you can look mm. at them as three things that work together in balance. So you can approach it, right, more optimistic, mm -hmm. optimistic, I guess. But um, but I think like companies who weave this into their DNA um, and they're not afraid to talk about it openly are the companies that I think you see success with. Like I'll use, I talk to men consulting, right? So he is sponsoring our Ascending, Ascending Women series, right? They're a consulting company that have, they have a bunch of engineers and data nerds. And as you might guess, right, probably 90% plus of their applicants are white males who are applying to their place. The, the owners of a men know that in order for them to grow their business, they want to, they want to have a much more inclusive business. So they want more representation from people of color and women. So they know that in order to be successful as a business, they've got to have a more diverse workforce. So one way is they partner with us to sponsor this Ascending Women series, right? A lot of their female employees will be participating in it. Ree's been in front of a lot of their female employees. So I think it's like, it's okay to push something that makes business sense and planet sense or just good sense, period. And those things don't necessarily have to compete. They should be working together. What, what would you say if 
an employee is looking to potentially work for a company would be something that uh, uh, would be red flags for an employee to look for if they're going into a company and that impact statement and those vision statements are very important to them. Yeah, great question. Yeah. Because you always get the, at, it, during an interview, it's like, oh, do you have any questions for us? What should those questions be I, for that person who's being interviewed? It's interesting. Um, I will say there's an, another uh, brand locally that just, they're B Corp, and I really, um, I've learned a lot from them. Um, and part of what, um, one of the things that they talked about, um, they're another consulting company. One of the things that they talked about is they used to put like the fact that they're B Corp at the end of their presentation, right? And and one of the things that Kroger basically said back to them is, if you don't put that in the front, you aren't different than any other consulting company that I'm looking at. That needs to be the first talking point. And so they also sent me their like offer letter package. Um, and it detailed out some very specifics around B Corp, which also include, um, you know, people and planet in there. And so even just that, right, like, um, my and can you explain what B Corp is? For oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so basically, it's looking at your company, not just in a profit mindset, but also yeah. looking at um, your community, how you're treating your community, how you're treating your workers, what your governance policies, um, how are you taking care of of community essentially um so it's sort of mm. like a third party certification similar to like mm. having organic milk in your fridge um it's another party saying that you're doing the right things right related to mm. um people and planet not just profit so but i think that was really interesting for me to see that even in their their package right that is well stated um, when they're offering somebody a job i think we're working towards those things right job descriptions now have the requirements around volunteering, um, you know, so just being able to see some of those things in practice, um, even before you walk into a company's front doorstep, that they're they're speaking that language, um, even before you enter their their space, is important. Yeah, and I'd say you kind of asked about like em employees looking at potential employers. Um, I love the interviews where. I feel like Madtree is being interviewed just as much as we're interviewing them. Those are the kind of people I want to hire. Like if you're coming in and you're you're asking us a shit ton of questions and you're trying to poke holes in things and you're trying to figure out are we really le legit and authentic, you know, to the stuff that's on our, in our impact report. That stuff means like they're really vetting us and they're really internalizing what it would mean to work here. And that's the kind of people you really want. I do I do think one of the mistakes a lot of a lot of applicants make is they really look at it purely as like they're being vetted. Um, and I think, I think, it, you know, with that balance, um, that would be my advice to people, you know, looking at companies. So you obviously are vetting people in the interview process. When you are interviewing people, how do you assess, are they culturally in alignment with you guys? Do like, they care about the planet, you know, they care about being a B Corp. How do you assess that out besides, you know, just standard interview questions? I think a really well-written, I, I like to call it the fluff, um, but but I think a really well-written job posting um, starts to get that out of people. Like I'll say when we were hiring for the impact director, I mean, just like silly stuff, like, you know, you're probably vegan, but you don't have to be to be our impact director. Please not vegan. <laughs> what, I, what I'll say, what we got back is like the cover letters. You can really derive 
people's intentions from like really well-written cover letters and the amount of great cover letters we got based on a really strong job description was important. We do we do something called culture index, right? Similar-ish to strengths finders and all those other things, Myers-Briggs, um, where we're just kind of looking at traits of people, not that we're necessarily hiring on, on your profile, but we're using that to kind of tease out questions as we go through an interview process. I'll say the last thing too, it's always important to me, there's always that final like, would you have a beer with them? Which is kind of like the gut check of like, mm-hmm. Are you are you just vibing or are you not? Because I'll say, I've I've made some bad bad hires where there's just like something that you just it's really hard to identify, but you're just like man, you know I had a beer with that person and I didn't enjoy it, and that is just a it's a weird red, weird cultural red flag. But we we talk yeah. about that a lot here. I think the other thing that's just happening organically right now that's beautiful to see is like we're starting to see people reference things like the impact report when they're interviewing with us. Mm-hmm. And so you're starting to see them come at us with some of our own information. Um, and that's that's nice to see. That is definitely all great advice. And as you said, the great resignation is a real thing. So as a lot of people are pivoting into potentially new careers and switching companies, those are all things to think about and keep in mind. Um, But continuing the idea of switching gears here on When Pigs Fly, we like to dive into fun historical business facts. And Matt Tree has an exciting new adventure in the pipeline that you've mentioned with opening your brand new alcove space in Over the Rhine downtown. But that building in particular has tremendous historical value. Talk about it. Oh, we got history nuggets for days on this one. <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah, so we're going to open the second week of March. Um, we are super pumped for it. So the the kind of quick one-liner on it is it's a nook of nature in the heart of OTR. Um, mm. So it's going to bring a much more kind of refined, elegant touch to Madtree, um, which I think is going to surprise and delight people um you know when they kind of see how we bring our brand to life that's typically been right a craft beer brand that's you know lots of gray colors and we kind of joke like our current space here it's just like my partner and i chose all the paint colors and it's just like a bunch of different shades of gray <laughs> reclaimed wood you know all that kind of stuff this new space is going to bachelor pad yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> this new space is going to have much more of a refined touch to it so we're partnering with urban blooms um, so they're a local nonprofit. They do um, basically living wall installations. So we're going to have oh, living really wall cool. installations, ferns. We're going to have living walls on uh, like a rotating door living wall, um, planer boxes that we can use to garnish with cocktails, living chandeliers. We've got this beautiful 32 fern chandelier at our uh, upstairs private event space. But a little kind of history of the building. So the building was built in 1873. Uh, by Henry Weilert. So, um, and it used to be the largest German beer hall in the city. So right behind the, the space was a massive, like kind of wooden platform um, that was just a massive beer hall. And we've seen some really cool um, kind of artist renderings of what the place used to look like. Um, it was kind of described as like the upscale uh, place, like the place you would kind of be cool, like bringing your kids to. Um, uh, some other fun nuggets. So the uh, Cincinnati Symphony, um, this is where the symphony kind of got its start. So That's basically really cool. they would play for people here. There's kind of a fun story too. There's a little bar next next door to it. Um, I think actually Molly Wellman shared this fact with us. There's a little bar next door to it and they would bring in like three players 
because um, Violet's used to have like you know 20, 30, 40 players, and the small bar would bring three players in, and they would play with the larger band so that it had this like really big effect for their small little bar um, because obviously they didn't have the space for that, um, which is pretty cool. So um, the upstairs where our private event space is is where Ezra Charles trained. So right, the Cincinnati uh, heavyweight champ. Um, he was a very light heavyweight champ. Like he weighed between like 180 and 185. And he trained there as he was getting, I think he was training there as he won the heavyweight title from, I just read the book, blanking on his name, Jersey Joe Walcott. Um, and he held the title for like a year and a half, two years. Um, and then I think he actually lost it to, I think he actually lost it to Jersey Joe. And then he tried to get it back from Rocky Marciano and fought him twice and lost. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of really cool history. Yeah, supposedly the um, the founding of the World Series uh, happened at Alcove, so it's where um, kind of the famed Boss Cox and all of his lieutenants would kind of meet there every day. And I think the MLB commissioner um, was probably in that little tight, corrupted circle. Um, although Boss Cox said he never never took a dime for his own good, um, which no one believes. Um, but yeah, supposedly <laughs> that's where kind of the World Series was concocted as well. So. That's really cool. Um, and one last question that we like to ask our guests. What advice would you give to, you know, small small business owners, anyone in the business world, uh, you know, on whether it's social impact, uh, you know, starting a social impact mission, vision, focus, or, you know, just, you know, any general business advice that you might have for small business owners? Yeah, I think you've got to get real clear on your why. And I think you've you've also got to be able to pull yourself out of. We all drink our own Kool Aid, and I think that's um, that's the hard thing for a lot of small business owners. You're really passionate about whatever it is you're doing, and you kind of have blinders up um, to kind of what the outside world looks like. So I think my advice to any entrepreneur is be really clear about your why, not just from your perspective, but also from the, the perspective of a consumer or anyone in your community um, who's going to either support or be a part of your brand, because um, I do see a lot of I do see a lot of entrepreneurs get into a business where they're just passionate about it, but they don't they're not able to kind of remove themselves from it and kind of understand their business in the larger context of why anyone else should give a shit about them. Um, I would say there's probably three pretty important things. Um, something about coming in uh, to this space, right? I mm. um, have really appreciated the opportunity to run. Um, there's not a lot of barriers put in my way or in the company's way to get these goals um, into action. There's questions and challenges that are positive, but there's not a lot of barriers. So um, having the ability to like bring people into the space and allow them to run is really important um, if you want to grow it. I think Brady and Kenny um, have beautifully allowed no ego to be present, um, and that's really, really nice to be a part of. Um, I think the other thing is if you're going to do this work, it doesn't have to compete with profit. They should go hand in hand. It should be in alignment, and it should work beautifully together. Too many people think if I do impact, I can't make money. That's not the case. You have to get creative at times. 
and you have to prioritize accordingly, but those two things can live together beautifully and have beautiful returns on the back end. And then also, thirdly, I think this work can feel really daunting for an organization, but you have to just dive into it one bite at a time. Um, you don't have to save the world tomorrow, but you got to start <laughs> uh, tackling these goals one by one, um, put it down on paper, start charging after it. It doesn't have to be an overnight. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And you can't look at it like a sprint. It is a marathon and you have to be dedicated to the work and it's not going to turn over tomorrow, but it's a long-term gain, right? So staying committed, staying focused, those are really important things, but don't let it overwhelm you. Just start writing it down and getting it moving forward um, and start building the strategy and foundation. The other stuff will come on the back end. Um, we're starting to see it, right? And that's really great. Well, guys, thank you so much. That brings us uh, to the end of our time and we very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so, so much. This was an absolute blast and Thanks we really enjoyed you. the chat. That was a great conversation. Uh, we definitely focused a little bit more on, you know, their social impact work and not yeah. their brewery side, which I was really excited about that we took this different approach because ultimately, Ali, what I learned was the people matter. Yes. <laughs> and the people in the business, you know, need to be on board with this mission, with this mm-hmm. vision in order to be successful and you know, be a successful business. Yeah. And there was one thing that Brady said that really stood out to me. And that was people, planet and profit, right? Mm. At the end of the day, you're still a business. So you Mm -hmm. still need to be able to make a profit. uh, But you can't completely ignore the people, as you said, and the environment that you live in. And it becomes a very holistic approach that I don't think a lot of companies actually think about. I know when you listen back to this podcast, it could sound like a bunch of sun- sunshine and rainbows and it's super philosophic and da, da 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 But the reality is a lot of that is true there, but it also starts from the top, right? Mm-hmm. If you're only leading with the, the mindset of, I want to just make money and I want to just make a profit, well, that aura and that message and that value is going to bleed into the rest of the company. But if you have leaders at the top, as Rhiannon said, of sitting in a boardroom and your, and your creative directors and your co-owners and your, your strategic directors are all on the same page, then I think that's what kind of starts to create greatness because Mm. that's what employees want to look for now. They want to look for it, and clearly it's working for Madtree. Yeah. Uh, they, they they have more than enough employees, even before their new location uh, is ready to go. And I think mm-hmm. that speaks to the culture and the, you know, the need for and want and desire for that social impact vision and focus. And that's why we wanted to have this conversation though, right? Because of the fact that our generation, our millennial generation and the generations under Mm us, we're looking for a greater purpose and a greater sense of why, because we realistically, we live these lives of convenience. So we want to feel like we're actually doing something with not only our lives and our careers, but making a difference. And in order for that to happen, I think Madtree is a really good example for a company to be able to blend the two and, and to showcase that, hey, 
you know, we could still make money, we could create a culture that we believe in, but also making an impact by setting tangible goals. Mm. We are putting a number on it and we are finding other third parties that we could outsource with to help us along the way. Because it's like, you don't have to do it alone, right? Exactly. Find other, other corporations and other partners and other companies to partner with to make it happen. And then when employees see that, that's a, a driver for them to want to stay and, and and be a part of that culture. And I think this is the way of the future in terms of having that, you know, impacts on communities. Yeah. I think we're going to be moving away from the nonprofit aspect and where you're just, you know, donating to a yeah. cause. Slapping nonprofit doesn't mean as much as it used to. And so I think now you're starting to see corporates get involved. And I think people appreciate that because, you know, they like, you know, pr the products or services the company is selling. But what is that bigger vision? What is that bigger uh, mission? Uh, people care about that. And, you know, I think for me, at least, I feel that this is almost a better way to go than a nonprofit. No knock to any nonprofits out there. Um, but I feel like this is a more sustainable way in terms of being able to continuously impact the communities that these corporations or startups or, you know, businesses are in. Yeah, it's almost like a level of transparency of, hey, we are a business and we're still trying to make mm -hmm. money, but why don't we give back in the process? And you brought you just brought up the idea of corporate culture. And Brady brought up, you know, Kroger and some of those larger corporations mm -hmm. that are pivoting into that. I know Kroger is big on trying to reduce food waste, which is awesome. Yeah, the zero hunger. The zero hunger. And how can these larger corporations who are already established make that change? And that's something that we should keep an eye out on and for, I think, and maybe touch on it as we go. Well, if you know of a corporation or startup that we should be talking to that is in this space and has absolutely crushed it in terms of creating a community impact, please reach out to us at hosts, that's host with an S, at <laughs> whenpigsfly.fm, or you can reach out to us on any of our social medias, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it, we're there. Uh, and Allie, most importantly, what should they be doing? Uh, you should tell a friend, tell a family member if you like this podcast because word of mouth is the best way uh, to get more exposure for us and we appreciate it. Yes. And then on that note, Alan. Cheers. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.